Hello, everybody. I'm Pam Pastor, host of the Grace and Peace of God Love Wins podcast. I am thrilled that you found me. There is power in the name of Jesus. And as we journey together, we'll unleash discoveries of how to turn a heart of stone into one of moldable clay for the potter to transform. I hope that you'll join me and others each week as we adventure and explore life together. And periodically, we'll delve into my mailbag and answer questions from listeners just like you. So folks, if you have a question, make sure and email it to me at pampastorcopywriting at gmail.com. Again, it's pampastorcopywriting at gmail.com. We're going to get started today, and today's podcast is the epiphany in my heart. God is always good. No matter what our circumstances are, we must remember that God is good. And when I use the word good, it doesn't feel like I'm giving enough glory to God. And then I simply remember with all the days of creation of heaven and earth upon each one's completion, God did say, and it was good. And there are moments when we break through with an aha or an epiphany, and Jesus reveals a part of himself in our understanding or our awareness. Now, admittedly, people around me were concerned as much for me as I was. You see, I had been assigning meaning to nearly all I could name. A strong impression came upon me that what I was doing was adding worry into my life. And this was not of God, but of the enemy. He wanted to infiltrate my thoughts and cause confusion. And if you're a regular listener to my podcast, yesterday I read chapter 9, Deliverance, from my book, The Grace and Peace of God, Love Wins. And I believe I received healing and a breaking of strongholds or negative seeds, and that had been planted within me from early in life. And the healing continued into this morning. I had an opportunity to test out my new belief system. During my morning workout with my husband, the accuser was back. And normally, it would be probable that I would have blurted out a rude accusation in response to what I was perceiving. But today proved to be different. You see, Jesus was asking me to put myself in his shoes. It didn't matter if I was right or if I was wrong. And when I visualized being in my husband's shoes, I was suddenly filled with grace and with love. And it gets better. Then I was able to see where I could extend the same learning and apply it to others. The lens of my eyes softened and changed. While it seems odd to call this an epiphany, that is really what it is because Jesus is showing up to do the work in me that no one else could. It was his shed blood at Calvary covering me. It's my beautiful daughter's unconditional love. It's profound grace. And this is the best gift. And today's podcast is all about John the Baptist, or at least I thought it was going to (laughs) be. John was the forerunner or prelude to Jesus, and we learned so many invaluable lessons from John the Baptist. The religious leaders insisted on pressing John as to his identity. He was a well-known messenger of God who attracted large crowds of people, but the leaders were stuck on asking the wrong question. Their focus was misguided, asking who John was. They needed to be taught a better way, a better question. Who was Jesus? 
And just like me and you, we can learn to ask better questions that will change our lives. We don't need to battle and contend with the same strongholds in our minds year after year. This is how the enemy asserts his power over us. And when we learn who we are in Christ, we fight back, gaining power and wisdom. God says to speak his word out loud and declare over our life what he says about us. Colossians chapter 3 verse 12 and Romans chapter 8 verse 33 says, I am chosen by God, forgiven and justified through Christ. I have a compassionate heart, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And Colossians chapter 2.10 says that we are all complete in him who is the head over all rule and authority of every angelic and earthly power. When we come into the fullness and acceptance that Jesus renews our minds in his knowledge of who God is, we no longer want to live in our old ways or our old sin nature before accepting Christ. We're rescued from the domain of darkness and brought into the light. Our souls are filled with gratitude and thankfulness for a loving God to lay aside his deity, taking on the form of a human man, making himself a living sacrifice for all of humanity's sins. A neighbor of mine mentioned a book that she had read and said, I think you'd enjoy it. So not thinking much about it, I said, yes, that sounds great. And guess what? In the mail, she surprised me with a copy of this book, Another Blessing. It's called 1,000 Gifts, and it suggests that the fullness of our salvation rests within the Eucharist. The Eucharist means thanksgiving, and the author says, At the Eucharist, Christ breaks his heart to heal ours. Thanksgiving is what precedes the miracle of that salvation being fully worked out in our lives. Now, the Pharisees were confused over who John the Baptist was. They would question him asking, are you the Messiah? And he flatly denied it. Both John the Baptist and Jesus denounced the Pharisees and the temple assistants often. The Pharisees outwardly did all the right things, appearing pious or dutiful towards their worship. Yet inwardly, their hearts were filled with greed and with pride. So who were these religious leaders and political groups of Jesus's day? Well, first, we had the Pharisees who I just mentioned. And this group was a strict order of Jews who demanded obedience to the nth degree of Jewish law and traditions. They were said to have followed every jot and title. This means they followed the law even to the smallest detail. And the Pharisees were extremely influential within the synagogues. They agreed with Jesus by respecting the law, and they also believed in the resurrection of Jesus and of the dead, and finally sought to obey God's will. So if this was the case, then why would John the Baptist and Jesus denounce this group of people? Well, here's why. They rejected Jesus's claim to be the Messiah. Jesus didn't follow all of their traditions down to every jot and title. Additionally, Jesus associated with notorious sinners, people who were deemed wicked in all of their ways. So the next grouping of religious elites were called the Sadducees, and these people were wealthy, upper class, part of the priestly party. And this group only believed in the first five books of the Bible, known as the Torah. 
They would profit from business within the temple grounds, and both the Sadducees and the Pharisees made up the Jewish high council. These people showed great respect for the Torah or the first five books of Moses. They also respected the temple. But here's where they were short-sighted even to blindness. They rejected the resurrection of the dead. In their blind ambition, they thought it was okay to turn the temple into what Jesus would coin a den of thieves. Now, another grouping was simply the teachers of religious law. These men were mostly made up of Pharisees and were professional interpreters of the law. They would emphasize tradition. In their respect for the law and commitment to obey God, they aligned with Jesus. But we learn in Matthew chapter 7, verse 29, for he taught as one who had real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Although these religious scholars often cited traditions and quoted authorities to support their arguments and interpretations, Jesus spoke with a new authority, his own. He didn't need to quote anyone because he was the original word. There was also a Jewish political party of the day known as supporters of Herod, and it's unknown whether their party and Jesus agreed, but in the Gospels, this group tried to trap Jesus with questions and plotted to kill him. They were vehemently afraid of Jesus' possibility of causing political unrest in the region. They were in the process of attempting to regain lost political power, and they viewed Jesus as a direct threat to this initiative. And then we have the Zealots. They were a grouping of fiercely motivated men who deemed themselves as Jewish patriots. They had determined to place an end to the Roman rule in Israel. One of Jesus's original 12 disciples was a former zealot, Simon. Not Simon Peter, but the other one. And these zealots were concerned for the future of Israel. They believed that in a coming Messiah, and yet when face to face with Jesus, they did not recognize him as their king who had been sent by God. And there were no other possibilities for their Messiah to show himself in their minds. He must come in the form of a political leader who would be the deliverer of Israel from the Roman occupation. Is our world going to experience a similar gross underestimation of future events when the false prophet comes and lays destruction upon the earth with promises only blinded eyes see as the way to solve worldly problems? Will we become like the zealots again, not open to other ways? I hope not. And finally, the Essenes. These were Jewish people living under religious vows. A monastic group, their practice is centered around ritual purity and personal holiness. Like Jesus, they were subscribed to justice, honesty, and commitment. But where they differed from Jesus was in their belief that ceremonial rituals made them righteous with God or approved before God. We've learned that Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. So is Old Testament law still relevant today? Well, first, we would need to look at three categories of Old Testament law, and these were ceremonial, civil, and moral law. The purpose for the ceremonial law was to point people forward towards Jesus. We're no longer bound by ceremonial law because of Jesus' death and resurrection. It sufficed this requirement. But the principle behind loving and worshiping a holy God still remains. 
Now, the civil law applied to daily living in Israel, and our society is radically different today. Thus, making most of the guidelines irrelevant. But there are some that are timeless. Our conduct should be guided by how Jesus lived his life. And finally, the moral law, which is also known as the Ten Commandments. This reveals the nature and will of God for his people. While Jesus was perfection, we are not, but we can strive to be obedient. God wants us to incline our hearts towards him, not because we have to. And many of us don't fully look deep enough into God's moral law, touching only upon the surface and counting ourselves as being above reproach. Yet when we do what the commandments teach and we love God with all of our hearts and minds, we may find that we've misapplied them, perhaps not purposefully. By the time of Jesus' ministry, the religious leaders had turned the stone tablet rules into just a mess. And Jesus attempted to help people understand the intent of the law. Jesus saw many abuses occurring out of religiosity. It's more important to obey God than to explain the law. Moses would tell the people in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 1, Listen carefully to all the laws and regulations I'm giving you today. Learn them and be sure to obey them. God seeks a genuine relationship with us. If anything other than Him is at the center of our lives, we will not reach our full God-given potential. Now, when we look at the Ten Commandments, the first ones do not worship any other gods beside me. While Solomon violates this as recorded in 1 Kings, his foreign wives caused him to worship their gods. We must not worship anyone other than the one true God. We must always put God in first place. Secondly, do not make idols of any kind. Well, Aaron, Moses' brother, made a golden calf, so he kind of messed up on that one too. And the third commandment is do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. When we look deeper, God wants us to ascribe to using his name to praise and honor him and offer up prayer. Number four is observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Our ancestors were once in bondage as slaves in Egypt, but God has brought us out. So he still wants us to keep a holy Sabbath day. And number five, honor your father and mother. Well, that's easy when you're young. You learn to obey. But after they pass, we must continue to show honor by passing on their godly values And that's reflective in our values and our morals that people can witness. Uh, We're told not to murder. And Jesus explains that hateful anger is akin to murder. So we're capable of murder in our hearts. But love and reconciliation are the true antidote. We're told not to commit adultery. God provides everything we need. And adultery is coveting. So we must practice being content with what we have been blessed with. We're told not to steal. Remember, God provides what we need, so maybe not what we want, but we must again learn to be content. And number nine, do not testify falsely against your neighbor. Enough said. Number 10, do not covet your neighbor's wife 
do not covet your neighbor's house or land or anything else that your neighbor owns. We must routinely thank God for what we do have, not what we think is lacking in our lives. Our most important possession is free, and that's eternal life with Jesus. So uh, here's six ways that we can think like Jesus when we think of the Ten Commandments. Avoid killing can be taken further to avoid being angry and harboring hatred within our hearts. We can offer regular gifts up to the Lord, but first we need to be in right relationship with God and with others so that our gift will be accepted. We can avoid adultery by praying for a clean heart that is faithful and true. And we can be married, which is throughout the Bible, is one of God's greatest joys. We can live out and honor our marriage commitment. Our word is enough. We don't have to use vows and other irresponsible commitments to God. And finally, revenge. The Lord is our vindicator. We're not to seek revenge. We're to show mercy and love towards others. So jumping back now to John the Baptist, we've uncovered who the religious leaders were, what they were all about, what kind of laws that they subscribed to. And they wanted to know again who John the Baptist was. They said, oh, you're a prophet that's foretold by Moses. No, you're Elijah. You're the Messiah. And then they even guessed he was a false prophet. But John the Baptist said in the words of Isaiah, I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare a straight pathway for the Lord's coming. And he completely just denied all the other people that they had said that he was. The leaders continued to press him anyway about who he was, but John would only answer why he came. He was preparing the way for the Messiah. The Pharisees continued to miss the point. Here again, they needed to ask a better question. They wanted to know who John was, but John wanted them to know who Jesus was. John was baptizing Jews, and the Essenes practiced baptism for purification, but normally only would the Gentiles be baptized when they were converted to Judaism. So when the Pharisees questioned John's authority to baptize, they were asking who gave John the right to treat God's chosen people like the Gentiles. And John said in 1 John, or excuse me, in John chapter 1, verse 26, I baptize with water, but right here in the crowd is someone you do not know who will soon begin his ministry. I'm not even worthy to be his slave. And John the Baptist was merely helping people to perform a symbolic act of repentance, a public demonstration or profession of their faith. And this is what our pastors and our ministers still do today. While publicly professing belief in Christ's finished work at the cross, making eternal salvation available for all who will believe. And John the Baptist tells people that soon someone would come who would truly forgive sins, something only the Son of God, the Messiah, could do. John the Baptist was a unique man, even for his time. He ate locusts and honey. He dressed odd. His clothing consisted of camel's hair, and he preached an unusual message. His purpose was not to conform into the world he was living in. He knew he had a specific purpose or assignment from God to fulfill. John was a devoted Nazarene. He had been set apart for God's service. He had remained faithful to his mission. 
Although this odd-looking man held no position, no rank, nor stature, when he spoke, it was done out of authority. He spoke the truth. His challenge for people was to turn away from their sins because the kingdom of the Lord was at hand. Repent now. Shouldn't this be our message too? While many people heeded John's message, there was a fair share who was resistant and resentful. John never lost sight of announcing the coming Messiah. John challenged Herod to admit his sin, but Herodias was the woman Herod had illegally married. And she decided to get rid of this wild preacher. She ultimately had him killed. But it was too late. Jesus was actively in ministry, meaning John the Baptist's message lived on. You can't stop the dead man's blood from talking. John's mission was a success and had been fulfilled. John focused on the truth as he knew it. He remained faithful and obedient to God, proclaiming the Messiah. Like John, God had given us truth to know, proclaim, and share with others. God is able to use us for kingdom glory like no other. So if we were to take a SWOT analysis like we've done of some of the other people in the Bible, and we applied this to John's life, the strengths in his life would be, he was a God-appointed messenger to announce the arrival of the Messiah. He preached repentance. He was fearless in his purpose and passion. He was known as the wilderness preacher who was committed to the Nazarene lifestyle. He was uncompromising in his approach and discipline in life. He announced the Lamb of God. So then what would weaknesses be for John the Baptist? Well, John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins, so he most likely was surprised to learn that Jesus was the Messiah when he was baptizing him. Now, this is purely conjecture there, not a fact. But other than this, I can't find any weaknesses. Opportunities. God was able to utilize John for great things because of his genuine humility. He was content to let Jesus take the higher place above him, even though he drew large crowds himself. And the threat was obviously Herod and Herodias. They ended his earthly life. When we're on fire for the Lord and we want to share it like John the Baptist, we will stop at nothing or no one to tell them the good news message. And that's exactly what he did. Ultimately, it cost him his life. And I'll close the podcast with this verse from Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. I assure you, of all who have ever lived, none's greater than John the Baptist. Yet, even the most insignificant person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. Wow. That is amazing. So friends, today, if you want to become a child of God and spend eternity in heaven, not somewhere else, then I invite you to pray this prayer of invitation to our Lord Jesus. Simply repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I repent and turn away from my sins. Come into and take up residence within my heart as president. I believe your blood was shed for all who believe that you took on the sin of humanity at the cross of Calvary. Amen. 
And friends, if you prayed that prayer of salvation, I believe you were saved and born again spiritually. Your next step is to read God's word daily so he can guide, direct, and reveal himself to you and get into a good Bible-based church to surround yourself with other believers. Now, let me be the first to congratulate you on the most important decision you've ever made. Congratulations and God bless you. And friends, one of Priest Aaron's contributions he left for us is this benediction. As you go out into the world, allow me to pray this blessing over you from Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show his favor and give you his peace. Amen. And the Grace and Peace of God Love Wins podcast will be available most days during the week. A special Kid Talk podcast will air on Wednesdays, so tune in along with your children for your favorite Bible stories that you grew up with. We'll be discussing and sharing Jesus's unlimited power in our present day lives. We delve into many topics such as forgiveness, how to be joyful, and what love in action looks like, and many, many more. I invite you and your friends to come alongside me as we embark on a podcast of adventure and exploration of life together. So please join me. And if you like this podcast, make sure and like and subscribe so you'll get the latest episodes when they become available. And friends, much of today's podcast was referencing my book, The Grace and Peace of God, Love Wins. If you found the content inspiring or interesting, you can pick up a copy of the book from my website, pampastorcopywriting.com, or at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or Dorrance.com. And if you're unable to afford a copy, please write me. I'll find a way to get a free copy into your hands. If you know anyone who may be interested in this material, please share it with them too. Until next time, friends, be blessed.